Hey, podcast listeners, hope you're doing well, and I hope you are winning contracts. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to share something with you that's working for our clients. Our federal access knowledge base is helping companies win contracts every single day. I regularly get emails from members thanking us and saying things like, hey, I just won a $2 million contract. Many of you have seen a video that Chris Danback shot for us at GovCon. Chris won two contracts totaling $30 million. One of our members, Eyal, emailed me this morning and said, the turning point that opened my eyes was using federal access to establish a professional and systematic business development and RFP process. I've now won two contracts worth $480,000. Federal access is helping a lot of companies win. It can help you too. So here's the deal. I have a special offer for you. Visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers today and get started for just $29. You're going to get access to a digital copy of the government sales manual, over 70 strategy videos, more than 30 webinars, 300 documents and templates, and one of my favorite pieces is SME support. So when you run into any issue, any challenge at all, you can email me directly for help. So go check out the special offer today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. The link is in the description below the podcast. So go check that out today, federal-access.com forward slash game changers. So you can get started for just $29 today. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here with Game Changers for Government Contractors. We have a fun episode today. We have a fellow author here on board with us today, Mr. Gene Moran. Gene, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what you do and who you are? Hi Mike, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, yes, I'm an author, but that's a uh, that's a, a relatively new uh, uh, attribute that I've acquired. I uh, I spend my daytime uh, job helping companies accelerate their growth as they try to sell to the federal government. I've come to find that a lot of companies go about this almost in a in a backward way, and they mm. do it completely wrong. I've, mm. I've been surprised to learn how little some companies in leadership positions, in fact. Uh, how little some know about where their funding really comes from and how to correctly plug into the federal government. I, I think that's a, that's an interesting observation there because I think the average person that gets into government, and correct me if you, if you disagree here, but I think the average person that gets into government contracting, now this is, I'm saying the average, not everyone, but the average person gets in because someone said, you know what, this is a really good market. And by the way, you're a veteran or you're uh, whatever category, and I think the government would just throw money at you. And that's how they go, well, let me take a look at this market. And they take a look at the market and they decide to jump in head first and they don't necessarily understand the market. So that I see that a lot. Do you see that in, in your business as well? I, I think it's a fair observation. Uh, it, and it, I can understand why some people view it that way. Uh, there is a lot of money on the table. You know, it's a trillion yeah. dollars that gets spent every year. Defense alone is $740 billion in fiscal year 20. The next closest department to that would be Homeland Security, which is about one-tenth of that. 
But when you're talking billions like that, it, it would appear that, sure, there's a, there's plenty to go around, and I've got something that the government must need. So, mm-hmm. yeah, let me, let me jump at this. Uh, the problem that I see most often is that people selling approach the government at the exact wrong end of the process. Mm. They, they look at where are the contract opportunities, and the contract is actually the tail end of the process. Mm. A lot of decisions were made sometimes years beforehand about yeah. how money might, might be spent in a particular agency. So, yes, it looks like it's a, it's a pool that's big enough for everyone, and certainly the government needs what I have. But if you're not properly aligned to the government process, you can beat your head on the wall for, for 20 years making yeah. suboptimal uh, results. Yeah, I, I've run into people at conferences, and there was one woman, She, I will always refer to her her business. She, I said, How, who here has done the most proposals with never winning one? And people kept raising their hand and finally got to her. She had done 11 proposals, never won anything, never got close to anything, and didn't understand the market. She'd been in it two or three years and hadn't won a single contract. And it was just a complete lack of understanding of the market, the things you're talking about. And, you know, I, I often compare it to, I, I think in the the time we live in, I know this has been going on a lot longer than this, but in the time we live in, I think people treat government contracting a lot of like these dating websites and apps where they get on there and they swipe left or right and, and go, oh yeah, there's, this is a match. I'm going to go after this, you know, with this RFP. And it's like, that's not how it works. That really shouldn't be how it works in dating, but that's another podcast. But, you know, when it, <laughs> but when it comes to, to, you know, contracting, you're right. Like some of this stuff has been around for two or three years. And, you know, the, the phrase I always hear is, man, I just can't believe this stuff looks like it was wired or written for someone. And they say, you know, please tell me that's not true. And I'm like, oh, no, it's absolutely true. And they're like, they're just stunned because I'm like, somebody's been doing the work you should have been doing for the last two or three years. And that's why it looks like it was written for them because they've been doing the hard work. And so that's, that's how we got here. And so they miss all that and they just think, Hey, I swipe left. I submit the RFP and I win and I make some money. And you know, that's not at all what it's about. And so I, I, I like that first part of our conversation there. Cause I, I think there are so many myths about getting in the market. Those things can torpedo you on, on their own. And so, you know, what jumped out at me and why we're talking today is I know that the book is new for you, but, you know, I love the the topic of your book, you know, pitching the big top, how to master the three ring circus of federal sales, because it is such a circus. It's like juggling like chainsaws and knives or something like sometimes there's so many things going on that, you know, you, you've really got to have an understanding of this. So talk to me about the circus metaphor, the three rings and, and all of that. Tell, tell our listeners a little bit about that, how you got, how you arrived there. It's a great question. And it, it, I get it a lot. It's not meant as a, as a pejorative uh, metaphor. Uh, it is, uh, it's really to highlight the the fact that there are many things happening at once across mm. uh, a timeline and across several domains. So mm. the three rings that I refer to are industry, agency, and Congress. And when you really dig into how to sell to the federal government, you come to recognize that your customer in government 
is not one person. It's actually a hmm. constellation of people who exist among these three rings. Hmm. And you need to be engaged appropriately at the right time across each of the three rings, industry, agency, and Congress. Many companies are working at one or two of those rings. Many are not working all three. Hmm. I would make some exceptions to that. Companies that have some awareness of the Washington, D.C. arena, they might have a Washington, D.C. office, they might travel back and forth to Washington, D.C., they may have some better awareness of this. But surprisingly, even experts who work for some of the largest prime vendors in our country don't fully appreciate the complexity and the interrelationships of these three rings. Hmm. I came it, to learn about the concept of relative motion when I was young. Uh, I used to race sailboats. Uh, things move relative to one another in these three rings and along a timeline. And when you, when you understand that timeline and understand who's in the rings, you can be much more effective with how you're developing a real plan to sell to the government. Yeah, no, that that's really interesting. And I love the metaphor because, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that listened to the show that are probably in my age range, a little bit younger, a little bit older. But I would say if you're a little too much younger than me, you've probably never been to a circus. You've probably never been to, you know, the Barnum and Bailey three ring circus with everything going on. And, you know, there's not always something just going on in the main ring. There's stuff going on in all three. And so the, the concept and how it applies is, is very interesting to me. And so, you know, just the way things are interconnected and, you know, I often talk to people that say, well, who should I talk to? Like, well, there's probably, depending on what you're selling, there's probably a lot of different levels that you talk to. And I was just talking to somebody the other day that was talking to clearly one of the wrong rings or, or not the wrong, but at the, at the wrong time, they were talking to somebody who is a grassroots person while the RFP was on the street and they're like, look, I'm not a decision maker. I'm going to be completely useless to you. You know, and they were trying to explain the process. I wish I had had the metaphor at the time to explain it to them, but they're just talking to the wrong person at the wrong time, even though that person really liked their products. And so I would say that's probably one of the big challenges or big mistakes people make when they're selling to the government is, you know, talking to the wrong people at the wrong time, like constantly, you're almost like you're chasing your tail. Like how come every time I'm talking to somebody, it's the wrong time to do it. You know, that that's probably a, a, a big challenge for people. So what are some of the other things that people do wrong when they're selling to the government? Yeah. Well, I, I was just going to say to close your point there. Uh, a lot of people don't pick up on indicators that they're getting from mm. whomever they're speaking with that might, uh, give them a hint that they're at the wrong place in the wrong time. The, the person on the other side of the conversation may not tell you, hey, you don't know what you're talking about, yeah. or hey, hey you, need, you need to go over here, or you should know this. They may not correct you in the moment, yet you've just given away all kinds of credibility by demonstrating that you're, you don't know what you're talking about and you're not properly engaged. And mm. The, the impact may be that you don't get that second meeting. They know they don't mm. want to talk to you again. Right. And that can really, obviously, that can have you know, serious negative effects. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally find that 
whether it's government or really any B2B situation that I run into, that most people on the other end are polite. They're just polite. They won't say, look, Mike, I don't want to talk to you again because you're completely clueless. They're going to say something like, hey, I don't have time or, hey, maybe we can meet in a couple of months. Like they're going to find the kindest, most gentle way to blow you off and tell you they don't want to ever do business with you. That's what's going to happen most of the time. You're again, you're rarely going to find somebody that says, hold up, dude, here's the problem. You know, you clearly don't understand X, Y, or Z and how it works. When you do, it's awesome. I actually had a client a few months ago. I said, hey, did you ask for a debrief on this RFP that went sideways? No, I didn't ask. I said, just go ask her for an informal debrief. And he went and asked. And instead of the the contracting officer saying, oh, well, you know, just two or three really polite comments, she gave him a bullet list and he came back with his tail between his legs. And he was like, man, that was brutal. I was like, brutal. That was brilliant. I like she just outlined exactly what you did wrong and how to win your next contract. Right. I, I mean, if right. you have another contract opportunity with her, she just told you exactly how to win. She told you what you did good, what you did bad. I, it, it was brilliant. And I was like, yeah, it was blunt. But if we had more contracting officers like that, you'd make the process a lot easier. You know, but but we don't. So, so that's a case where the individual went in once again unprepared. Yep. Unpre- unprepared for what might be possible, and unprepared to deal with that in the moment. They might have mm. been able to do something to cement the relationship and and get a subsequent meeting. Who knows? It fits perfectly into the broader category of what people do wrong, and that is communication in general. Hmm. Many, many times people bring forward their idea and they can't say it concisely enough. Yeah. In Congress, there's a, a coin of the realm that's used. It's called the Congressional White Paper. It is a single page. It has an issue listed, a background, a discussion, and a recommendation. One page. If you can't get your story down to one page that could be told in about eight minutes, your story and your proposition are not tight enough. Right. And you can, you can do the homework to prepare for that and take that concept into any meeting. It doesn't have to be a congressional meeting. It could be in any agency meeting, any industry meeting. Be prepared to speak less, but speak concisely, and then be prepared to listen. When you mm. come in and you have a tight message like that that you can tell well, and you're prepared to listen, and you're prepared to give them time back in their calendar, you're a hero, and you get to come back multiple yeah. times because you're easy to deal with. You're a pleasure to deal with. You don't bog them down and, and have them lose control of their, their schedule. Hmm. So it's a, it's a concept that I, I have really embraced and I, I, I spend a lot of time with clients before we go anywhere, making sure that that message is really what we want it to be and what we, what we know we're asking for. And it gets met favorably every time. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't imagine it doesn't, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, when you can communicate clearly and effectively, it, it's a game changer. It really does change things. And most people can't communicate. You know, my, my favorite saying is I'm always talking to people and say, or have you seen the movie office space? They are, yeah, we've seen the movie. It's almost required in most companies these days. Right. It's kind of part of the HR introduction introduction there, but like, it's one of those things where the bobs are sitting down and they're saying, so tell me what you do. 
And most people can't articulate that. Like they can't, they can't articulate it in one sentence. They, if you give them five sentences, they can't figure out how to clearly communicate what they do and how they provide value. And so when it gets down to RFPs or, you know, meetings with a potential customer, they can't articulate that. And so, Hey, I've got 30 minutes with you. I've got an hour with you. I've got two hours with you. I've got to fill that time with stuff instead of like what you said, making them pleasant to deal with, giving them time back on their calendar, you know, things like that, where it's about the client, not about you, you know, spewing stuff about your company for half hour, hour, two hours, whatever it may be. Cause I've seen that. I've seen situations where people take two hours with a client and you're like, what are you doing? What are you possibly doing for two hours in an introductory meeting? Other, other than proving that they never want to meet with you again. <laughs> you, you know, you're convincing them of that at that point. So um, along, along, along with that is the concept of over-communicating. Yeah. So you, you, have a, you have a meeting, you uh, uh, overextend your, your welcome, and you then follow up with uh, too many emails or yeah. voicemails or, or you, uh, you try to do a sidebar at a, at a conference. Yeah. And now, now the person is clearly trying to stay away from you uh, because they, they know that this, this conversation could go in a, in a direction and consume more time than, it, than anyone has to give to it. Yeah. Over-communicating is, uh, is, is a crime in, in federal sales. It's not natural yeah. for a salesperson to say less. But we're not talking about you know, traditional business-to-business sales where there's a, a, a much faster dynamic at play. It's right. government sales that is very process-oriented and very procedural, and there's a timeline. And if you, if you're, as we said earlier, if you're out of step with that timeline and you're, and you're not considerate of of the moment, and you're over-communicating, uh, you're you're just compounding your your error. Yeah, I I think the era, and maybe it's still lagging a little bit around, is the era of high pressure sales and sales techniques and all these sales related books that have come out over the years really have done a disservice to salespeople. In fact, anytime somebody comes to me and says, well, I've never been officially trained in sales. I'm like, great. Don't go get any training on it. Just learn how to do a few of these things and it'll make you great at selling. But there's too much, in my opinion, high pressure type of stuff where those people just want to keep going until they actually get a contract. And it it doesn't work that way in the government, for one. And they want to keep going until they get the answer they get, and it doesn't work that way. And often, I think the, the concept of once you've actually sold them, shutting up is something that people can't grasp either. Like, they're already sold on why they should work with you, so you keep talking until you've sold them on why they should change their mind. And that, and that's often what happens in sales is they wanted to work with you, but you kept going and you eventually killed the deal for yourself because you convinced them that you were too difficult to deal with. I, that, that's something I see. Do you, do you see that as well? Well, I, I definitely see in, in federal sales that people uh, try to adapt some uh, business practices uh, you know, to include all of also include in that uh, customer relationship management tools. Yeah, uh, many many of those were not meant for the the three ring circus. 
uh, applying them to industry, agency, and Congress. Uh, but because they're so accessible, uh, many people try to make them fit. I have not seen the natural fit for, for those sort of tools. Uh, again, there's a, there's a government process that, that we're trying to align to. Right. Underpinning that is, is just a fundamental understanding of the flow of money, mm. funds, where do appropriations come from. Uh, while we were talking about starting at the tail end of the process with contracting, really understanding the beginning of the process and how a budget is developed and how decisions are made of where money will be spent, what sort of need, what sort of requirement warrants an appropriation. That's a, that's a multi-year effort. Yeah. And again, if you're coming into the contracting end, you, you've missed all of that developmental work. Yeah. In the, in the bigger, the solicitation, the, the more time that's gone into it, you know, if it's, if it's a, a few thousand dollars, they could have done this in a few days, weeks, whatever. But when we're talking millions or billions, it takes a lot of effort to figure that out and, and to drive that. So, you know, in talking about the budget a little bit, you know, you have this concept in your book called the, the customer constellation. Why don't you walk us through that? Because I think that'll help people understand who the customer actually is. And then we can talk budget specifically. The customer is not one person. It's not the person who writes your contract. It's not the person who uh, uh, even signs out the, the RFP. It, it is many people who participate in how a need is identified out in the field, how that need is converted into a budget term referred to as a requirement. A requirement has to be validated, and then a requirement has to be resourced. Those decisions can initially begin within industry, across associations, or among associations, getting consensus on where something should go, how, how, how an issue could be solved. Um, there are many decision makers within an agency who have reason to interface with some of those industry uh, activities in, in the industry ring, <clears throat> but you also have an opportunity to access multiple agency decision makers well above the contracting officer. So there are you know, senior executives, there are political leaders, there are uh, program managers, uh, business financial managers. Each agency has their own hierarchy and you have an opportunity to access any of them. Uh, those budget decisions, how to, how to resource a requirement, those, those are what underpin what an agency will request in a budget. And so a budget is developed over the course of a couple of years and is eventually forwarded via the White House to Congress. And then Congress gets its chance to put an imprint on that budget request. Some say that a budget is actually a political document. So that is what the executive branch wants. Congress then has to approve it. A lot of companies don't really understand the congressional role there, and so they, they shy away from interacting with Congress or anything to do with Congress. They, they get caught up in the political ideology as opposed to the, this is an actual function of Congress mm -hmm. to put an imprint on that budget. And so when you step back from it, you can see where there's an opportunity to communicate effectively among each of those three rings of influence 
about your capability, your solution, where it would be funded, how it should be funded, how it was resourced, what the rationale was. You, you have input across that entire process. So if you pick out the individuals among those three rings, you come up with a constellation of people with whom you should interact. Hmm. You know, that's a very interesting concept. And, and I think a lot of our listeners have spent a lot of time focusing on one particular area, and that would be the contracting officer. I, I think it, it's a good place to spend a lot of effort. But I, I think I'd like to know if you have some tips on interacting with Congress and interacting with end users. Because I think those are two pieces of that puzzle that our listeners really haven't spent a lot of time figuring out. And so any thoughts or tips on how to interact properly with those two pieces of the constellation? Sure. And I think the, the better one becomes at having those sorts of conversations, the better able they are to inform people associated along the entire process. Hmm. So if you, if you understand how a product or a problem is affecting end users uh, in a way that you can inform some of the people who are evaluating need or evaluating whether this is something that should be a requirement that gets resourced, you're, you're then helping them do their job. Hmm. So you, you have the ability, potentially, to bring new information into the conversation about exactly how challenging you know, whatever the issue is out in the field. Having those conversations across the agency contacts we, we talked about, to the degree that you, you are comfortable having them across industry, and there may be competitive reasons that you don't want to have some of those conversations. <clears throat> but Congress is a, is a little bit different in that uh, some people just don't understand how it works. But Congress has an oversight function for every aspect of government. So there are committees or subcommittees specifically focused on making sure that those agencies are executing their, their mission properly and spending uh, the taxpayer funds properly. There are ways to approach Congress either through your own constituent member, so every member of Congress represents roughly 750,000 people in this country, every state has two senators you can approach those people they have a reason to want to know you if you live in their district or state there are also committees that have professional staff members who are full-time experts on entire portfolios of government you also have access to those people to share your expertise if you have some new capability or new technology and you're trying to get traction on it and make sure that people see that, hey, what you're selling really could be a better choice for the government. Uh, people in Congress want to know about that. Uh, you have to orchestrate those sort of communications such that you're not getting out ahead of your agency or uh, making your agency look bad, whether you intend or not. So there's, there's a little finesse required, but it's, it's very manageable. And those that participate in the entire process like this always do much, much better than those who don't. Yeah. And, you know, it's just one of those things where when you understand 
everything that's going on in the game, it makes, makes it much easier to play the game. You know, if you only understand one aspect of the game, you can still win. You just may not win like you could. You know, I was just reading an article this week, and you may have seen this one on um, Super Bowl winning quarterback Patrick Mahomes. And the thing that caught everybody's attention was that he just learned recently how to read defenses. So here, here's a kid who's played through high school and college, been super successful, been super successful in the NFL, wins, you know, the Super Bowl, and is like, I just recently learned how to do this one aspect of the game. And which is probably arguably one of the most important things for a quarterback to learn. But he just added that to his game, his skill set, and look at him winning now. You know, look look at how it changed the game for him. And so I, I think when it when we approach uh, government, it's the same way. You can come in and learn how to be an expert at talking to contracting officers or an expert at leveraging Congress or one of those things. But the more of this puzzle you start to learn, the better it's going to make you. And maybe that takes you from a half a million to a million to a $10 million company or better. I don't, I don't know, but it's one of those things that it can't hurt. It can only make you better as a company. And so understanding that's just going to make things better. That's that's the bottom line. So you talk about in your book, one of your pet peeves is about budget terminology. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because I, I think a lot of people uh, do have some confusion on budget and terms. So what, we'd like to hear about that. Well, I, I think the confusion is, uh, is completely justified because many in the media confused terms and use them interchangeably in an, in an incorrect way. But you can, you can also find that your agency um, customer or member of your customer constellation may also misuse the terms and you, mm. can, you, can, help, you can help them better understand. So very briefly, there is a budget. We talked about a budget. That's, that's a request from the executive branch to Congress that um, indicates what the executive branch would like to spend money on. So they've gone through their entire review process. They've prepared this budget. That is an input to a legislative outcome. That outcome takes the form of an appropriation. Before an appropriation can be developed, it typically has to be authorized. So there's an authorization piece of legislation and there's an appropriation piece of legislation. One, the authorization is primarily policy, although it does say you're going to be able to spend this amount of money on these things. This, the other part is the appropriation. That's a separate piece of legislation, but an appropriation actually spends. Think of that as a checkbook. Mm. So uh, where people get mixed up is when the press might report, Congress approves $740 billion in defense budget. And what really happened was Congress just approved the defense authorization. So no money has actually moved yet. So right. they've, set, they've, set, they've set a high-level policy document. It can also get confusing in that Congress also has a budget. They, they set congressional budget caps. How much are we going to spend across government on defense or non-defense? 
and roughly roughly by agencies. That that document is a purely political document in that it is typically not signed into law. There have been some exceptions of late when some of these uh, high-level um, agreements get made such that the president signs off on it. But typically, a congressional budget is not is not law. Hmm. Yeah, so I, I've, I've outlined a few different terms there. They don't all mean the same thing, but they get used interchangeably all the time. Yeah, and I can see how that's very confusing for folks. And, you know, even, you know, we always talk about the that we're going into, you know, this last quarter of the government and, you know, they've got to spend their money. And I always tell people, you don't, you're not going to get a check. You know, you might, but you're probably not going to get a check. What it means is they've got to allocate that money. You know, they've got to on the book somewhere notate that, hey, this has been assigned to this contract. You may not get the money for three more months or six months. You know, you may have to deliver something that is down the road. They just have to make sure it's been allocated, you know, and people think, oh, well, they're spending it, you know, in this, in this government Q4, I'm going to get a check. That's not the case. You know, just like you said, you've got to understand the terms and what's going on because they, the contracting officers may say, I, I have to spend it, but that's not what they mean. They, they just have to get it on paper that it is technically spent or allocated to something. And so right. I think so, those little things like it, that can just trip you up big time. In, in federal, that's actually referred to obligating the money. Yeah. So Congress tracks obligation rates. And so when, a, when an agency fears that if they don't spend it, they'll lose it, what they fear is that Congress will rescind that money because it was not obligated yep yep yeah and and where people think oh that that means i gotta they gotta write a check no (laughs) no no no, that's the same right you started out by suggesting that people need to do the work yeah i I use the i use the term homework a lot there is homework required but the, the beauty of homework in federal is that the resources are available to everyone you can do yeah. the work, and the yeah. answers are out there. They're they're within your grasp. It's it's not like it's a big black box, but it gets treated like it's a big black box, and so people ignore it and they go to the easiest part to approach, which is the contracting officer. Right. And they they, they keep repeating the the same mistake. Yeah. No, I I think one of the interesting things about government, as opposed to working in the commercial space, is like you just said, all the data is at your fingertips. You just got to look for it. And if you look for it, the data is there. There is not another customer out there that's going to publish data like the government does. So you can really figure out how to sell to them. I mean, they just, they lay out a plan. If you understand the techniques and strategies, you just got to go, as you said, do your homework, dig up a little information and, and go to work on this thing. And so why don't we, we're, as we close up here, talk to us a little bit about the the engagement plan, because I think that is one of the things that a lot of people need to understand is they need an engagement plan for how they're going to approach these clients and win these contracts. And I think that's a great way to, to wrap us up today. Sure. In fact, I, I, developed an, I, I developed an idea that I refer to as an engagement plan. That, that concept itself is not unique, but I develop it through the book. So as you go through the book, you can actually 
build your own engagement plan. But an engagement plan is just a two-dimensional way to look at the three rings that we've talked about, industry, agency, Congress, the customer constellation, where we break the customer constellation down a little bit further, uh, brief sidebar, some, some are quite familiar with business decision mapping. It's a, it's a great concept out there to sort of map your, map your opponent or map your potential customer. But you can also map the decision makers that are in your customer con constellation. Some of them have more influence than others. Some are actual decision makers. Some are influencers. Some are enablers. Some are gatekeepers. When you can put down on a two-dimensional sheet of paper within industry, within agency, and within Congress, who are the people, what are they? Are they a decision maker, an enabler, an influencer, a gatekeeper? What's the timeline in which we want to talk to them? What's the message we want to take to them? When you look at this in a, in a two-dimensional scale, think of it as a placemat that's before you at the table. Now you have a, a plan that actually makes sense. Mm. It's, got, it's got meaning to who you're speaking with. It's got some timeline associated with it for when you need to speak to them. You can, you can tailor your message to each of those different types of people in the constellation. And you'll know that if you're operating in the three rings, the odds are that you are working along the entire budgeting spectrum. Hmm. And when you do that, you're, you're working it from start to finish. Yeah, and, and that's, that's super important to really be looking at it from a big picture, like you said, touching everything in those three rings in that constellation, touching all of that. So you're really hitting it in every step of the way while something is moving through the, the government machine, if you will. And so it's it, the thing that I would walk away from this podcast if I was a listener today is I would probably walk away slightly overwhelmed with new stuff. And that's a good thing. Uh, but my advice to anybody listening today is grab a hold of one or two things today. Just one or two, like just add one or two of these to what you're already doing. And then in a couple of months, listen to this podcast again and add another one or two, you know, definitely go grab Gene's book and really learn in depth how, you know, you can navigate this three ring circus here. But then again, just add one or two at a time. You don't have to go from where you are to adding all these concepts over the next, you know, two or three months, you know, just adding a couple here and there is really going to change your business over the next year, two, three, five years in business. So don't be overwhelmed with it. Just bite off one little piece at a time. There's a lot here to digest. And I think, you know, if you, you go grab the book, uh, you know, if you have questions, you know, obviously Gene's contact information will be uh, in the links below the podcast. So you'll be able to go grab that there and reach out to him if you've got questions. But but start slow, start slow add one or two things. And I think it's going to make a big difference. So Gene, thanks for coming on today. I, I think this has been really great for our listeners. I think we learned a lot today about, you know, about pitching to the big top, the whole three rings, the the constellation concept, I think is really good understanding that customer constellation. Um, and so just really great discussion. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate your having me. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. 
For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers. Thank you.